Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee, and I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Morning. So, plenty to talk about today. I think most of our energy is going to be focused around the big four sports teams, but a couple other small things to get into as well. But mainly, I am going to dazzle everyone with some statistical information uh, a little bit later on in the show about just how awful Detroit sports teams are and why people are really crawling out of their skin right now as it pertains to it. But there is hope. All that and more coming up on the next Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. So we'll start briefly with Oakland University, our alma mater, and a couple of changes to the men's basketball program. The ever-popular transfer portal has, it giveth and it taketh away. So um, do we want to go with the giveth or the taketh to start? How about the taketh? I always like going the, the negative route first. So who, who would like to cue oh, that I thought, one up? I thought Brandon. Oh, I, I don't, go ahead, Brandon. Sure. So uh, the taketh, uh, if you will, this is a very smooth start. Um, the taketh uh, is uh, that Micah Parrish uh, officially announced he's transferring to San Diego State yesterday. And, um, you know, I, we figured at the end of last year that there was a lot of talent on that roster despite their poor results and that, you know, Oakland plays a very tough schedule and it plays a national schedule, which means these guys are getting a lot of tape on them. Uh, especially from other, you know, mid-major or power five schools. And uh, I think Micah Parrish has a great fit in San Diego State. He's going to be one of the first guys off the bench. He's a good player, very athletic, very talented. Uh, I think he's going to have – he has a good career in front of him. And so when we've talked in the past about other guys like Trey Maddox, like, you know, I've kind of scratched my head, like, what are you really trying to do here? You know, some of the guys that have kind of warmed the bench in Cincinnati or Pittsburgh that we've talked about over the years, this is a good move for both San Diego State and for Micah Parrish. Uh, this is this is the kind of thing where I go, you know, that's probably best for him, and it's going to help really help San Diego State, uh, which was you know a, a team that is going to be uh, you know a threat in the tournament probably for the next couple of years. So, um, and you know, it frees up a rotation spot, you know, here, uh, you know, and we can talk about the giveth in a minute, but um, I'm I'm actually happy coming out of this off season, uh, Adam, that we only had one guy in the portal and only one guy left. No, I, I think that was the, the real good news as you look at it, because th this team cannot afford to uh, have a negative at all. Um, I think we talked about this team um, uh, and, and the, the biggest detail that we uh, kept on harping on was the lack of depth. And that lack of depth really showed up toward the end of the season with, you know, having a, a sick player rotation, which I, I think in college basketball, you cannot afford to have a, a six person rotation with basically uh, five of the guys playing almost 40 minutes for every game. Um, so, and, and to your point uh, to have an even and, and, and maybe, maybe with a little bit of a, 
um, um, I'm, I'm hoping that quite honestly that uh, there, there, there's another addition out there uh, of, of, a, of, of a player and uh, you know you, you know the uh, player that they did add is Lauren Bowman uh, and you, you were noting right before we started the show uh, and, and boy I mean hopefully this is a, a cane type of addition uh, to a team that, that really in all honesty desperately needs um, uh, if, if you're going to play the six player rotation, you got to go out there and, and get some ringers if you, uh, in, in my personal opinion. So, yeah, no, Lauren Bowman um, is, is another guard uh, coming out of Wisconsin. You know, had a tough start to his career, his collegiate career, uh, kind of bounced back and forth between coming home, uh, which is local uh, in Wisconsin. And I think, you know, I clearly finally made the decision with, you know, Wisconsin and with his family to just come back home permanently. He went to, I think, believe St. Mary's prep. Uh, in Oakland County. Uh, and so a three-star guy um, showed some flashes in a few games here and there. Uh, and, you know, he'll be paired up with now. It's a very dynamic backcourt in uh, <clears throat> with Bowman and uh, with J- um, Jalen Moore. So, you know, it'll be very, very interesting to see how both guys who are typically on-ball players, one of them is going to start having to play off-ball. And I think that's going to be really interesting. And so, you know, what you can expect from Oakland, Sands, Adams' point about potentially adding additional players, and if they can, I think they should, uh, is that it's going to be a smaller lineup this year. And, you know, they, Micah Parrish, they made them, uh, they were they were smaller in that, you know, their biggest guy usually was around 6'8", six, 6'7". Six, uh, but this is going to be even more of a small ball lineup. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, particularly defensively, how, how Campy adjusts. Uh, but they're adding a really talented guy uh, in Lauren Bowman. And uh, he was, you know, a Mr. Basketball finalist uh, a couple of years back in Michigan. So this is, this is some real talent coming back. And I think, you know, if you add another, another guy uh, from the portal, particularly someone in the front court, you know, this team will once again, as we go into the season, have a lot of potential and, you know, we'll see where they land. You know, I'd like to go back to Micah Parrish, though. He was one of the six guys that was playing in this rotation, and I'm, I'm finding it pretty interesting. Um, you know, in, in, in the past, we've seen guys uh, move out of Oakland because they haven't necessarily been getting the minutes or, or uh, maybe just maybe wanting some more exposure. But the, the, this is, is an interesting move um, and, and definitely – to say the least impactful based on the number of minutes that Michael was playing. Um, and I, I'm, I'll be curious to watch, uh, and, and, and you alluded to it earlier, but I, I will be very curious to see how he does do it at San Diego, uh, just based on um, all the playing time he was already getting here. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. I'm, I think it's a good move for him. Uh, I think it's the right move for him. Uh, he was being pursued very heavily by Michigan state. And I think had he gone to Michigan State, the minutes issue would have been, you know, even more of a concern because Michigan State in the last few years has been running 9-10 deep uh, in their rotation, whether it's worked or not, is a different conversation for a different day. But uh, I think he made the right move. San Diego State is a mid-major conference, but they're one of the better mid-major programs in the country. I think he'll probably be the sixth guy off the bench there. Uh, And he's sick. He's a 3 and D guy. I mean, he can shoot the three-pointer around 38, 40%, and he's 6'6", and he's long. And that is, that's the reason why Michigan state was coming after him. And that's the reason why San Diego state is going to give him some pretty big minutes. I think. Yeah, absolutely. One last thing on Oakland, it just, it'll be very interesting to see. And we'll obviously get into this more, uh, you know, come fall, but um, it's still a really, really young lineup. And it'll be interesting to see who of all the freshmen and sophomores 
or well, I guess now sophomores and juniors are going to potentially step into that rotation because as we've talked about over and over again, six guys isn't going to cut it. So, Yeah, and my closing thoughts really about the front court at this point and what they can do to uh, build that up. They're going to have one of the most talented backcourts in the Horizon League uh, between Lampman, uh, Moore, and Bowman. That is going to be uh, probably, probably the best backcourt, particularly with some of the losses we'll talk about in a future show that some of our competitors in the Horizon League have suffered some massive losses uh, to the transfer portal to Power 5 programs. Um, so once again, yeah. you know, the, the door will be open for Oakland. We'll see if they walk through. With that said, we'll transition into the big four teams. And I think one of the things that's um, very clear if you follow social media uh, around Detroit sports is that fans are really, really antsy right now. And for a very good reason. Um, so to, to give you a little bit of background, um, the Detroit Red Wings have now missed the playoffs for six straight seasons, and they have not won a playoff series in nine seasons. They have not been to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, since 2008-9 season, and when they lost Game 7. They won the Stan- their last Stanley Cup um, in 2008. Okay, so you're looking at a pretty substantial period of time there. Okay. How about the Detroit Pistons, you ask? Well, the Detroit Pistons, over the last 13 seasons, have made the playoffs three times with, um, I'm sorry, twice with a one winning record in 13 seasons. They have not won a playoff game since the last time the Wings won a Stanley Cup. The last time they made the finals again losing a game seven was in 04 05 and they won their the championship the year before that basically in 2004 so you're looking at 14 years for the wings 18 years for the pistons championship and general futility during the regular season in in leagues where making the playoffs and winning a playoff series is actually not as hard as it is in the next two we're going to talk about So the Tigers have not been to the playoffs since 2014. So that's eight seasons. They've not won a playoff game in nine seasons as they got swept in that 2014 series. And then obviously they haven't been to the World Series since 2012. So we're looking at 10 years since they've been to a World Series. And they haven't won a World Series since before Brandon was born. And Adam and I were much younger whippersnappers. So... You've got the Tigers there as well. Um, And they did have one winning season in the last eight years. So I could talk about the Lions. Okay, fine. I'll talk about the Lions. Why not? Um, The Lions in the last, uh, let's see, this millennium have played in three playoff games. Um. And they haven't won a playoff game since Adam and I were in high school. Um, And obviously they haven't won a championship since well before any of us were born. So when you look at that, uh, and I, I, I didn't actually run the numbers on exactly wins versus losses, but it's pretty bad. I mean, it's pretty bad over the last, let's just say five years. I understand 
why fans here are pretty ticked off and pretty impatient. And that's why that's kind of where I want to start, because um, I, I think we're seeing it manifest itself mostly in Tigers fans right now, because, again, we're in the early part of the season. and The Tigers have gotten to a very, very poor start. Incidentally, they have the exact same record that they did at this point in the season last year. Um, they've scored one more run and they're exactly the same number of games out of first place. This does not make it okay, but just as a perspective, doesn't mean the entire season is lost. And that is one of the things that I do think people lose sight of in baseball is it is 162 game season. Um, A lot happens over the course of a season, but on the flip side, there was this tease, if you will, of Miguel Cabrera's chase for 3000. And there was so much excitement behind that. And opening day was, was, was the same opening day as it was pre pandemic. And the game where Cabrera got his 3000 hit, the place was packed. People were, were standing on each other to be able to see the field. And the place was rocking the entire game. People stayed the entire game. The Tigers scored half the runs they've scored the season in that game. I mean, it was, it was great, right? And so you've got this really hungry fan base who's like, wow, this this is what we can do. This is this is fun. And then the Tigers have been bad. Um, and so that's kind of where I wanted to start and then branch out into the other ones. But I will tell you this. And and of course, I'm 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 the you know the the, the homer in this particular uh, realm, but I, I, I still am not worried uh, about this team. Um, I think there will absolutely be a course correction. We can get into why, but it's baseball. And sometimes these, these things happen and um, they're not as bad as their record indicates. But what do you guys think? When I look at the Tigers, there's two things that pop out to me. One I just think they're pressing. And I think, um, and I, I, I get that feeling because it seemed like they had a great spring training. And I know spring training, it, you know, you can be good. But the point being, it, seemed, it, it just seemed like everything was flowing in the right direction. Um, but I think when they got to town, I think the pressing, I think they, they understood, unlike last year, there were expectations in, in with this particular team. And I think that was a little bit overwhelming. I think the other thing, and this is my crazy Adam, you're you've completely fell off the the the, the wagon type of thing. Um, this team lost a leader going into the season, and you go, no. And your immediate response is, Adam, the guy hasn't even played a major league baseball game. How can you call him a leader? I think he's a leader. And when you saw the highlights of Riley Green and the things he was doing in spring training, that guy plays with such swagger at such a young age. And I think losing him to injury was a shock to the teeth on this team. Because I think he is a, a spirit animal for this team. And I know, yeah, we got to be patient. There's going to be a, a, a ton of baseball in front of Riley Green. But I really think you cannot understate the importance of a guy like Riley Green and not just who he is, but how he plays. And I think 
that was a vibe that this team was getting in spring training. And with him being injured, that was a big, big, uh, big black guy uh, at that point. I think it's it's a little early, I think, uh, for uh, a great degree of consternation. You know, I will be very interested to see how they are sitting, you know, approximately, you know, 20 more games from now, right? Well, what does the first quarter of the season look like for this team? And Justin and I were talking at a recent game we went to, you know, I'm really what, where I'm trying to measure success or failure for them is, you know, they got to be either about four games above or four games below 500 uh, as we get in kind of the dog days. Uh, and if they do that, then that leaves the door open for a run here in August and September. Um, and so, you know, I'm a little concerned that they're getting outside of that range, but you know, I'm really going to wait until um, the 40 game mark to get concerned. Uh, about the team's overall trajectory. There are things that are very concerning about this team, though. Uh, And the one thing I want to bring up today is the complete and utter lack of plate discipline on the absolutely atrocious fielding. And both of those things can be fixed. Uh, And it's concerning that we're seeing these things over and over and over again. And I think, you know, the plate discipline in particular has me very distressed about this team because you've got – you just have too young of a lineup, frankly – to be taking this kind of free swinging attitude and the veterans are not helping, you know, Tucker Barnhart has 55 play, you know, play appearances and 21 strikeouts. I mean, that is absurd. That is absurd. And you knew you were going to get some of that from Baez, like dude's crazy, but you know, scope (laughs) Barnhart, you know, even Cabrera struck out 24 times already this year. It's like, we have got to get more guys on base period. They, 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 we are really falling down on the job on that. We have got to take more pitches and got to get more guys on base. I think that goes to Adam's point about the pressing, because what was interesting in the early part of the season is the Tigers were taking a lot of pitches. If you remember the game like against Garrett Cole, where they made him throw 60 pitches uh, or in like two innings, he, he had a 44 pitch inning longest of his career. And, and of course I remember social media blowing up saying Tigers are taking too many pitches. It's like, no, there's no such thing. Please stop talking. So uh it, and I, so I, I really think it is part of the pressing, uh, but you're right. I mean, they, their walk to strikeouts ratio is abysmal and I will always harp on that. Now, granted baseball in general is moving towards the model of hit ball far or strikeout. And I mean, it, there's so much data to support that, which at some point when we really unpack why games take so long, and why interest is waning in the games, that is one of the, the major culprits in that. Yeah, they, they simply cannot hit ball far. And right. when are they going to adjust to that? They have 11 home runs this year. Yeah. You know, there are teams that are, I mean, their strikeouts are, are about middle of the pack, I think. But look at all the teams around them. They already have 30, 40 home runs. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, yeah, the Tigers have 11. They can't hit ball far. And so if you can't hit ball far you need to make some adjustments and I don't know what they're waiting for. Like, I don't know who they're expecting to come in and hit all these home runs. Bias is going to hit a couple. I'm expecting Meadows to have some power here uh, sooner rather than later. I expect scope will do the same, but I mean, other than that, you know, torque maybe a little bit, but come on. So no, this, this is not a power hitting team and, and that's fine. I mean, we've assembled a team that is definitely much more balanced, a much more athletic team than we've seen out of the Tigers in I mean, any of the Dombrowski years, that, that's one of the shifts that, you know, we've, we've moved toward a more athletic lineup. 
which generally speaking means you have a better fielding lineup. But the fielding has been terrible, uh, with the exception of Baez, who has been phenomenal. Um, some of the plays he's made, uh, have, you know, in the game Brandon and I were just at, that's when he, he, you know, hiked the ball through his legs on that sliding stop. And it's like, there, I, I don't know that I've seen many more better plays than that. Um, but in general, fielding has been bad. Um, yeah, I, there's really no better analysis to offer there. And, and, and I want to go back to, cause I think there's a, a you know, we, I, I talked about uh, Riley Green and his injury and I'm, I'm wondering how frustrating it is to this team. Uh, maybe the team, you know, as a whole with uh, Casey Mice now, um, you know, being hampered uh, and, uh, um, you know, and then we've got, you know, some other pitcher injuries, but it, it, it you, you almost wonder if, if this, you know, <laughs> when they're looking at the injuries and they're, you know, waiting in the starting gate as we uh, record on uh, Kentucky Derby day, um, you know, it, it really is, you, you just wonder whether or not there's a psyche there. And then again, kind of going back to my original point with those injuries happening, it, does it mean more pressing? And I, I, I guess the, the thing guys that I'm a little surprised by is that AJ Hinch uh, is not being able to kind of figure out the combination uh, on this situation to be able to kind of cal- calm it down, but maybe it is so far out that even he can't really contain it at this point. Well, you know, Brandon brought up the the Sparky Anderson forty game rule, and I, and I do think a lot of people in Major League Baseball kind of adhere to that same general uh, rule of thumb of just you gotta wait and see what the first month and a half gives you because any player over the course of a season is going to have a rough few weeks. That's going to happen, I, with few exceptions. Um, and, and so I, I do think that's where a lot of this is coming from. But there are two things I want to touch on in that, Adam. One is I do want to talk about the injury situation. Um, but then I also want to talk about some of the individual players and when is it time to make that move? And there's one in particular that I want to talk about. But, you know, when it comes to injuries, one of the things that's been very interesting to me is the fact that the Tigers pitching situation has been very difficult with injuries. Now the shortened spring training and all the craziness with the CBA and all of that definitely had a negative impact. Cause you have Pineda miss the first part of the season. Willie Peralta missed the first part of the season. Obviously you got Mize out injured. You got Manning out injured. You got Tyler Alexander out injured. You still got Spencer Turnbull uh, out with um, Tommy John surgery. So there's four starting pitchers for you right there. Um, congratulations, uh, you know, please go find a new rotation. Um, that said, pitching has actually not been the problem. Um, I, I think if you're the Tigers, you're thrilled with what you've gotten so far. And yes, um, Rodriguez is not impressed in the start, but again, it's four starts four, I think five, what, what, whatever the case is, it's five. Okay. So like, Again, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, throw the guy out the window after five starts, and and then and the bullpen's been great. Go ahead, Adam. 
I was going to say, you know what? He got, I, I think that his start of the season, you know, he picked, was it opening day, he pitched him. And, and I mean, I've got to tell you something. I think he threw fantastic on opening day and he couldn't buy a good call from the umpire on, on that day. And then I yeah. laughed because when you're watching the game, then all of a sudden the, the, there was almost not even a 180, but a 540 of the strike code because it was so cold <laughs> at that point. Then all of a sudden, everything that got thrown was called a strike. I, I, and I really, I think, I, you don't want to say one game and an umpire really played with his mind, but he had been throwing so good. And I think, again, with him signing the contract, that's another example of him, you know, of, of a player pressing. He he will be fine. And I mean, he, he's thrown, I just think it's, breathe and relax but i'll tell you what that opening day game was enough to make you throw a remote control at the tv yeah um and and you know the other thing to consider is um well i want to get to umpiring too at some point or another but uh you know um i can't remember the last time we could say that the tigers had a good bullpen um I mean, I honestly don't. I mean, Brandon mentioned to me the other day, you know, back maybe when uh, we had Benoit and Alverde and and what have you, but um, Tiger's bullpen has been really, really good. And yes, Soto blew a game the other night. Gonna happen. Um, but Fulmer's been almost unhittable. Um, and I've been really impressed with the young guys like Will Vest. Um, he has thrown terrific. Alex Lane has filthy stuff. Uh, if he finds the strike zone, I mean, he's got a slider that just is wipeout. Um, so you got to be happy um, on the pitching side. Um, and hopefully with Mize and Manning, they're both throwing again. You know, it, it does change. It does change the equation. Uh, and really impressed with Bo uh, Brisky. Um, yep. A guy who came out of nowhere, 27th round pick. Um, I don't, he might've made it to double a prior to this season. Um, and he has got it out three starts and pretty, pretty impressed by that. Um, going back to the, to the rest of the lineup. Um, the one person I really wanted to mention was Akil Badu and when do you send him to the minors? Um, and again, I, I, I understand the 40 game rule, but when a guy, is in his sophomore season struggling as hard as he is. And, and again, Brandon, and I talked about this the other day too, but we're of, a, of one mind on this. It's like, why do you not send him down for two weeks, a month? I mean, he's got the options. He's 23 years old. Let him go rake on AAA pitching and then come back. And I get Riley Green's injury does play a factor into that. No question. But what what are you really hurting at this point? Um, you've got guys who can play the outfield. I mean, as long as we're throwing Willie Castro out there, let's, I mean, throw him out there every day, put Haas out there more often. You still got Meadows. You still got Grossman. You still got Hill. I think it's an interesting two moments in time for the, the two groups we're talking about. Right. And this is where I think, you know, Avila and, and Hinge to, you know, to the extent of his involvement have some work to do. Because, you know, the injuries thing, that's a fact of life in baseball. The White Sox lost, what, three quasi-all-stars in the opening series against us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just 
boom. There's multiple teams with 10 guys out. Cincinnati's got 15 guys out. And again, they're the worst team in baseball, although that's why. But injuries are going to happen. We haven't had great luck this year, but so have a bunch of other teams who also have crappy luck. So True. that's a part of it. But when you construct the right depth, you can get through it. And credit to Avila on some of his pickups in the last two years for the bullpen and for the starters. So he was he was ready. And you look at that lineup and you're, you're, you're sitting with Victor Reyes and, and Willie Castro. Not great. Not great. And so I think there's really long-term some conversations to be had about roster composition. Uh, and I know they want to be athletic and I know that they are still going to trend younger, but if you want to be a team competing for a playoff spot, you're going to have to have some guys with, that are more of specialists on the bench versus some generalists. And, you know, I, I, this is where I subscribe a bit more to the way that the, you know, the Yankees of the world assemble their rosters. They pull old veterans off the bench who can really hit the ball or they can do something very specific, <clears throat> excuse me, to help teams win games. And that's where I think they've got some, they've got some things to think about and some work to do uh, to, to catch up the, the lineup and the composition of the roster to where they want to be. Cause it feels like they have a rotation and a bullpen capable of competing for a playoff spot. And I'm not quite sure we're there on the lineup. So work to do on that front. Well, you think about that, the acquisition, obviously, of Austin Meadows, right? And, and um, uh, yeah. that, that, I mean, wow. Where would I they mean, be without, without that? It? Oh, my oh, God. I, I, yeah, no, no, you're, you're absolutely correct. And that's where, I mean, with, without him being on this team, th- this would have been a very, very dire situation compared to the expectation, not dire in itself, but dire compared to the expectation. Uh, and, 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 and especially when you consider what you gave up, um, that was, that was an absolutely, you know, savage move. Um, and, uh, um, but, but, you know, to your point, um, Brandon, um, while this team is trending younger it would be, and, and you know, Javi Baez has definitely been obviously a very, very good addition. Um, but but right now, I mean, you're, you're right. It, it would be nice to have a couple more veterans uh, on this particular older veterans on this roster to be able to kind of fill in the cracks even more than what we have today. So yeah, just you know, I'm not trying to run over this horse too many times, but I just think about the last couple of games against the Astros. If you just had somebody get bombs come off of your bench and pinch hit, you just lost two games by a combined two runs. You know? Yeah. Is that what we're doing to kill horses now? Run them over? Yeah. Why not? We beat them. We run them over. (laughs) Fair enough. But, you know, let's talk about veteran, veteran guys. And like Jonathan Scope, now not a bomb hitter per se, but he's a veteran guy who's hitting 133 with a 368 OPS that's not going to continue unless there's something truly, truly wrong with him. Um, And, and this is where I think you have to look at at what's going on and say, okay, there's gotta be some hope because there's, there's course corrections that will happen. People will return to the mean, right. And, and scope is one of those guys. I really, really like to think Candelario is as well. He had a string there, a few games where he was putting together some hits, hit a couple home runs, et cetera. Um, he's less of a track record, mind you, than scope, but I really think we're going to see that. I think Badu will be fine long-term. He may need a trip. I think he does need a trip to Toledo, but 
again, he's not going to he's not going to be a 149 hitter. Like that's not what this is. Um, you know, and Torkelson, it's going to take some time for him too. And we've seen this in his various stops in the minor leagues last year. He struggled out of the gate, didn't hit for a lot of average, did hit for some power, and eventually came around. And and that's what this is as well. Adam. But but I think when when Brandon's talking about veterans and that list of players you gave are I I understand I mean they they've been good ball players right but like when you take a look at like the acquisition of that the Yankees did for Anthony Rizzo right that that mm-hmm. or even you know Chris Bryant that went to the you know Colorado Rockies it would would be the other that's the acquisition where. You've had people with elongated careers that outside of injury have hit 25, 30 bombs on a regular basis. And that's not anything that, you know, Candelario has ever done. That's not, Scope had a really good year last year, but that's not in the realm that he's been. And that's where, that's where it's like, and and again, they've done that with bringing in hobby bias, right? But the whole point is, is that at some point you gotta be able to mix the guys that have a history of big production with guys to kind of mix in and you know one would argue oh well that's Mickey Cabrera well uh, Mickey Cabrera is not no, gonna hit not. you know that that that's too far gone at this point so yes. I, I I'm understanding all the points but it, it does kind of bring into mind to Brandon's point, the roster composition, when your pitching staff has done really good, now it's trying to figure out what that combination is on the uh, on the offense side. Yeah, no, I think that, that underscores my point really well, Adam. You know, um, you know um, Nelson Cruz, just every year, just going to go hit 35 home runs. Doesn't matter where he plays. You know, at some point, they're really going to have to consider these guys that don't have a ton of utility outside of the thing that you are bringing them in to do. Um, and there's just a number of, you know, jo- the Josh Donaldson deal, the Gary Sanchez deal. Like, I mean, you see these teams, I mean, these guys are, they have serious flaws and limitations, but I, I, I wanted to bring up Nelson Cruz, but he's gotten off. He's such an awful start this year that I, I, I couldn't bring up his name. So and, and, and maybe that maybe it's finally run out on him. He's like 42 at this point or something <laughs> crazy. <laughs> maybe, maybe the streak's finally run out, but the dude's just going to, you, if yeah. you want to bet on something, it's he's going to hit 30 home runs wherever he is. Right, 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 correct. And that's a fair point, is that they don't have that guy. And I think there's some reluctance to go get that guy with Miguel, with him being shackled to Miguel Cabrera's contract. Um, and the fact that he is still a draw. I mean, he's not going anywhere for two seasons, right? Like, he's just not. Because he is, he is at a point now where, you know, about every other hit he gets, he makes history. Um, and, and, and you don't get that quite often. Um, and of course, they still owe him sixty-four million dollars. Details. Actually, no, it's more like seventy-two million because he's got a buyout. But anyway, um, so I mean, at least we're not the Mets. Um, that's that's all I'll say there. So that's that's the story. I don't know if we want to touch the the umpiring thing right at the moment. Um, but it, it's going to be worth talking about. Uh, we just had the, the, the staring incident with uh, Dan Benino and uh, him staring at Madison Bumgarner. Uh, if you haven't seen that, go check out uh, the video of that. If you want to see egregious umpire behavior. Um, now, Bumgarner's nuts. That didn't help, let's, let's, just to be fair. 
but the Empire was being a jerk, to put it very nicely. And um, it just, it, it was stupid. It, you can't have umpires like that. We, we should not know these guys' names, really. Now, it's one thing when, when they announce the crew and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who that guy is. I've heard his name before. But when we can go out and talk about Angel Hernandez, who, who I mean, I just, I love to hate on this guy. Uh, as everyone does, it would seem. But but the game where Kyle Schwarber just lost his absolute bananas on him and, and was complaining for both teams. He was literally talking about how both teams were mad. And and my favorite in that game was that Hernandez called a pitch that was six and a half inches inside on Kettle Mar I think it was Kettle Marte, um, a strike. Um, I mean, <laughs> look, human beings... Umpires are going to make mistakes. I'm all good with all that, but come on. Anyway, so it's been awful. It's been yeah. awful. It's been absolutely awful. Just yeah, maybe they needed more spring training too. At some point or another, too, I want to talk about injuries to pitching, because. Um, that, that's a whole other topic to dive into. But in the meantime, um, I'm going to continue to try to avoid talking about the Lions, although I guess we should, uh, seeing as how there was a draft, and that might be somewhat interesting. But let's talk about the Red Wings first. Um, <laughs> so their season uh, just ended a really dreadful end of the, se- end of the season. Um, some injuries, but mostly just dreadful play. Um yeah Jeff Blashill finally gone no surprises I think the writing was on the wall halfway through the season um no complaints on that front you know I guess my whole question with the with the dismissal and the non-renewal of his contract as they put it I, I do wonder you know, is this a classic example of this team still wasn't very good and it doesn't matter who you bring in, it's not going to get any better? Or is this an example of Blashel? Because, I mean, I, I look at a guy like him who had so much success in the minors. And to me, he's really been dealing with a roster that they continue. And I, I know they, they're continuing to build up, uh, you know, the defensemen and, and that rotation. But still... I, I, when you look at the number of goals that they gave up, it's pretty clear that they uh, still have a lot of work to do in, in that particular area. Um, you know, and they were aggressive last year with their goaltending, you know, in, in the offseason. Uh, and it was surprising how not good that was this season. And yes, with the Red Wings, it did get to the point where isn't the season over? You'd be telling yourself, isn't the season over? No, they have another game. Isn't the season over repeatedly? And it's like, oh my gosh, this is just going on and on. At some point, you just wanted the pain to stop. And uh, But going back to Blashill, though, I, I really, I'm, I, I'll be very curious to see he, he'll get another job, right? He'll he'll get another job to coach. And I just I, I, I just wonder if we just are really overrating the talent on this team at this point, especially with the halo of Steve Eiserman uh, being attached to it and, and the expectations, or simply uh, there's still a lot more work to be, to be done. Well, I think they quit on Blashill. That's my opinion. But Brandon, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I... 
<clears throat> I don't I don't think Blashell is at fault. I mean, I've not been a fan of his historically on our little program here. Um, I don't think that he was the driving cause behind what happened with the team this year. But I also don't think he has been anything other than net neutral for this team for the past three or four years. Uh, he was a guy filling a spot. And so, you know, I, I don't know that a coaching change will make a dramatic difference. I think more than likely what's going to happen is you can bring in a different perspective, hopefully a more veteran guy, uh, someone with a little bit more experience. And these young guys are going to develop and they're going to get better. Uh, and, and we're going to move forward. So, you know, I think it's just, it's the right time to make the move. And I think, you know, I think just how dreadful it was to end the year really sealed his fate. And, you know, they have some ugly, ugly stat lines, you know, they were in the bottom five teams uh, for both goals scored and goals against hard to keep a job uh, when you've got that stat line around your neck. Yeah. And, and I, and to be fair, I don't, I don't know that necessarily the team quit on him. They just kind of gave up. Um, I really do think that's the case. And I think regardless of who it was in the position at the time, it was time to move on. Um, there's just a time when when it's time to do that. But the thing about the Red Wings is, you know, we're three years now into the Eiserman era. So, and we've already seen some very positive changes. And again, I think they're headed in the right direction. And it, it's worth talking about Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider. Um, I mean, my goodness, those are two really, really good hockey players um, that the Wings have drafted under Iserman. And it's very promising if that can continue. So, Yeah, and that's the reason I'm not concerned is his track record of player drafting and development. He's got another offseason coming up here. He's got some decisions to make. So, you know, both uh, Larkin and Bertuzzi are only under contract for another year. And so he's got some decisions to make there. There's a few other RFAs like Zadina floating out there. Uh, but again, composition, you know, what is he going to do with goaltending and how is he going to round out that lineup, you know, and, and, and how, and how close does he think the team is truly? That, that'll be very interesting, you know? Yeah. It will be an interesting off season. Um, you know, Grice is a free agent at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what they do decide to do on the goaltending front. Um, and then, uh, other than that though, I mean, De Kaiser's contract comes off, so that's going to be good for the team. Uh, Mark Stahl, who was so good for the team this year, uh, he's also a free agent and they need to go out and grab at least one, if not two more defensemen. Um, I, I do think that is a big, a big piece to this is their defense core has just not, not been good enough. Um, and so going out and hopefully getting one, probably re-signing Stahl if he's still playing. I don't actually know. I mean, he's been around forever. Uh, but having a solid stay-at-home guy and then another very good defenseman, whatever what we expected Nick Letty to be, which, I mean, granted, he did okay, and then we were able to trade him. So great. But, um, you know, another guy who can come in, move the puck a little bit. Um, and yeah, they, they need a they need a top they need a top four guy, and they yes. need a you know to go extremely old school an Adam Foot type of guy um, back there who's just who knows how to lock down opposing lines. Moritz Sider is an incredible talent as is Tronic. That's not really their deal, um, and which is good because we are moving back to 1980s NHL more and more by the day. 
So it's good that we have those guys, but they do they do need to to solidify with some solid veteran. I mean, it's not all that different of a conversation than we're going to have about the we had about the Tigers or we'll have about the Pistons. You have to have foundational components in place that have consistency. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious too as well who they're going to bring in as the coach, right? Because I think that's uh, um, and I I thought at one point someone kind of put out Mike Babcock's name of all you know people's names. I thought maybe it was someone pontificating or whatever. Wow, that's especially in the kind of the fashion that he left. I thought that was the, but it seemed like there's a um, you know uh, uh, the, the the a little bit that I've been able to gather from Red Wings Nation a a, a plea for some, something very original or, or very uh, uh, unique. Uh, uh, and I thought I thought I saw on the list Sergey Fedorov as a uh, candidate as well. So. Um, I'm, 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 you know, that it, it will be very curious to see what exactly Steve does in terms of, uh, that, that, that decision. So, yeah, I gotta say, I, I really know a lot less about, um, the NHL coaches floating around than I used to, uh, be very honest. Yeah. Uh, there's basically two schools of thought on this from Red Wings fans. There's the diamond in the rough, you know, have eyes. I mean, there's a couple of guys from uh, Swedish coaches. Uh, that they're looking at. There's a couple of guys from the college ranks they're looking at, and that's kind of one camp. And then the other camp is the established veteran coach who have had who have had ups and downs. Tortorella, Quinville, um, you know those guys, right? I I, I really hope Babcock's not a part of that um, because not only the things that came out in terms of how he left, but how he treated players, the fallout in Toronto. You know, my hope is that he's done in the NHL. So I think it's really a, a decision that Eisenman has to make is, you know, which way is he going to go? You know, is he going to get the Dwayne Casey um, or is he going to, you know, try to, you know, find a, a diamond in the rough. So. Yeah. Um, I did see one name floating around out there. Um, if you want to go old school Red Wing Lane Lambert, if you remember him. Um, so he would have been there during, um, during the Jacques Demers years. Um, he was a center for the wings who liked to uh, rough things up a little bit. So okay. anyway, I saw that name and I'm like, wow, that takes me back. Takes me back in time. So, you know, we, we talked about consistency there just a minute ago and the Detroit Pistons came up in the same sentence. And one thing that hasn't been consistent, well, that would be the Detroit Pistons roster um, under Troy Weaver. Um. That was a rough, and that was just a rough season for the Pistons this year. I mean, I'm not sure even what else to say. Um, was that 28% winning percentage? Um, I mean, that's better than 27.8 last season. Um, I mean, it's so bad. I don't, I, where, where do you start with it? Yeah, you know, I, I think what, what the Pistons have going for them is a little bit similar to the Red Wings in that the ability to convert bad records into improvement is so much faster. I mean, the way that Cider and Raymond have impacted at the NHL level, the Red Wings, the, the, and you saw it down the stretch, Cade Cunningham became Cade Cunningham, right? And started to dominate games and dominate other opposing teams, very good players. And they're going to get another top three pick 
And frankly, somebody probably with a higher ceiling than Kate Cunningham, if the cards fall right for them, you know, Paulo Banchero, Jabari Smith, these guys are freaks, uh, incredible athletes. You know, Holmgren is going to be either a, a Hall of Famer or he's going to play four years and go to Europe, right? I mean, so there's there's these guys that have these ceilings and they're going to add one of those guys. And in the NBA, you know, if they play their cards right, I actually think they can make the playoffs next year. So I'll, I'll drop the hot take there that I actually think if they, if they draft right, and they make some shrewd moves with guys like Jeremy Grant, Marvin Bagley Jr. They could make the playoffs next year. But my whole thing, though, is that you're expecting Troy Weaver to be able to execute. And I think he's done all right. But to me, I, I still struggle when I look at this team and try to figure out what is the roster composition here, right? Because I look, I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. I think part of it's just happenstance and circumstance that leak is here, right? Because you, you go out the year before you, you draft a guy like Kadeek Bay you, you, and, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there at the, the, the number one pick. And really, honestly, they had really no decision. To, the, 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 they were forced to take Kate Cunningham, which by the way, is a good thing. It, it could really, situation but now you know you you get like a guy like i guess stewart playing center he's not a center you have to go out and and and, and get a center right and in the meantime though and and, and i guess going back kate cunningham and Khadik bay on the same team i don't know either there has to be a continuing evolving of kate cunningham where then there's a difference with Khadik bay but i almost feel like Khadik bay to the point where especially when you looked at that Orlando game and he just, he just shot the 50 points and whatever. And then you got Killian Hayes. And I'm like, what I'm the general point though, Troy Weaver has got to sit down and make major. Yes. Decisions. Yes, absolutely. Uh, no, hundred percent. You're absolutely right. I bagged on him last year, all year for the, the, these, you know, trading these like components back and forth and all these reclamation projects and just throwing random guys on the roster, no, they have a, a set of, of key decisions to make. But I think in terms of roster composition, there's only two names that matter, Cade Cunningham and whoever they draft. That's it. And I think that is how he's handling this. And I think everyone else is available. I expect Jeremy Grant to be traded this offseason. I do not think he will be a Piston next year. I expect they will bring back Bagley. And with uh, Sadiq Bay, I think he could be on the table as well for a deal. Um, it would not surprise me to see them move Bay and Jeremy Grant this offseason and spend big in free agency because um, they're going to get a big guy in the draft, almost certainly. I would be stunned if they if they went for like a Jaden Ivey, who I think could be phenomenal, but I'm expecting them to come out of this with one of the four or five big guys. This is a deep, deep draft, and so I'm expecting that they will have a big guy. But uh, no, I mean, you're 100% right, Adam. I mean, he's got to sit down and, and, and pick a lane. Well, and, and I just want to go back to the trade deadline where two guys basically got traded for almost nothing. CJ McCollum and Tyrus Halliburton. Those are two players that were readily available. And you could have just, you know, with a couple like uh, with these little token pieces that you have on your team and you didn't go out and you didn't get them. Specifically, that's CJ fair. McCollum. Yeah, right? I think that's fair. Right. Now you could come back to me and say, well, CJ McCollum, would have a lot of overlap with uh, Kate Cunningham. I tend to disagree, but at, at the very least, he could, you know, uh, he would have been a, an excellent 
piece, underrated, excellent piece to add to this team that really needs a little bit more veteran, uh, you know, uh, presence. If you no, I agree. I, I think Weaver had a plan, and that plan was to deal Jeremy Grant. And the consistent injuries to Grant uh, derailed that plan. But I agree with you. I think they could have moved some of the component pieces that are younger, that have some talent off and picked up a more established guy. I mean, I, they did get Bagley and he is a good player and he never got a fair shake in Sacramento. And he came in and filled the stat line from the day he got into the end of the season. So I hope they retain him, but I, I do think Adam has a point that, you know, Weaver has had a couple of opportunities, two off seasons, you know, to really to put some more foundational pieces in place. And he's not taken. He has to do that this summer. And I think the other thing that will help this offseason, though, is that they have a lot more money on the books or a lot more money available than I think. And it'll even be better next season, right? So um, I, I, I and to, to that point, maybe maybe Troy's been a little hamstrung. I, I don't know. And, you know, and the other thing, honestly, and I, I know I, I have given Dwayne Casey props the whole time um, that he's been here. But I will tell you that the roster rotation and roster decisions, or at least the game decisions that he has made, have been just, they've been a little mind-boggling. And specifically with Sadiq Bey, who repeatedly, it seemed like game after game would come out, he would be fantastic in the first quarter, and then you wouldn't see him until after the halftime. And I, I don't know, there, there's, there's some things that I've seen from Dwayne Casey that have been kind of on the frustrating side. Um, but it, and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that they're, they're a little more mindful of his development. And I know at the end of the season, you wanted to be able to see who's available and, and what, what everyone had uh, uh, going for them. Uh, and, you know, a perfect example was Isaiah Levers and him pl- getting plenty of playing time, you know, down the stretch. But I, I think there's, you know, in terms of game time decisions and the managing of this roster from a coaching standpoint has been a little frustrating to watch at times. Certainly, and and all I'll say from the casual fans perspective is I really thought Jeremy Grant was going to get traded during the season. And to your point, inj- injuries play a huge factor in that kind of thing. Well, yeah, Por- Portland wants him. So I think it's just a matter of time. Yeah. One last question on this front. Um, Kate Cunningham's rookie season. Uh, what are your takeaways from that? He finished third in uh, rookie of the year voting. Really, there were only three guys who it was very, very close voting. There were really only three guys considered. Um, he came in third. but He was phenomenal down the stretch. And put him on the Raptors and he wins rookie of the year. So I, it was I, I Scotty Barnes, very good player. But that team has a lot more talent than the Pistons. I'll say that. I mean, they made the playoffs. So that's usually how I, that works. Yeah. yeah and I, I think with Kate Cunningham, I think one thing that hurt him was the, you know, the injuries at the beginning. And then he had the COVID, right? So it mm-hmm. wasn't really till that last 20 games that you really, really felt his end to end presence, right? And I think that's where. Uh, you know, that, that hurt, you know, and when, when you're looking at, I mean, when you're really looking at him and his ability to do what he could do on the court, whether it be distribute the ball, being at the right spot, this is general feel of the game. I I just, it it is quite breathtaking to, you know, really see where he can take his game uh, um, with the right roster. So. 
for sure. So moving on to uh, the Lions, everybody's favorite team. Um, quite a interesting draft for the Lions. Um, obviously, this is the Lions Super Bowl, the draft. And um, I mean, they certainly made some moves and made some things happen. And I have no faith in much of anything uh, as it pertains to them. So I'm not, I'm not an appropriate person to ask about all of this. Um, I will say that there are some things that I liked and some things that I disliked. But uh, Adam, why don't you take us through your thoughts on uh, at least the first handful of picks and, and the trade? Well, I think uh, as far as the, 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 the impression of what happened in this draft, um, I think that the, I saw a tweet yesterday where someone was saying, I'm feeling uncomfortable with all the positive uh, responses to the Lions draft, which means somehow will be some sort of trap for this organization. Uh, there was a moment last Saturday, I think it was, when uh, um, uh, Todd McShay and Louis Riddick were on uh, ESPN toward the end of the draft. And, you know, Louis Riddick said, I want to pause for a moment and talk about the Lions draft. And he says, I'm being very serious. They did a great job on this, um, uh, on this draft. And he says, and again, he says, I'm being really serious. And Todd McShay goes, you, you need to be serious when you're talking about the draft that they had. They had a very, very good draft. I think the word I would use for this would be deliberate. I think everything that they did in this draft was very deliberate. It was with the intent. In the past, we looked at Bob Quinn uh, and, and and his, and, and you know what? He had a couple of good drafts, but I don't think there was any, like, when you're looking and comparing to what the Lions did this year, the, the thought uh, behind some of the picks, I think as you look back at Bob Quinn's draft, were kind of fuzzy at best. But to real quickly, Aiden Hutchinson, number two, he felt to them, uh, you know, we, we had talked about him possibly falling uh, and, um, uh, and and it did happen. Um, and uh, he's a guy, extremely high floor uh, and his ceiling is very much uh, up, up in the air uh, and a lot of different opinions on where they but then uh, they did make the trade. I think, uh, you know, the fan base kind of, you know, kind of caught their breath when they saw that the Lions traded uh, and specifically the details, of course, 32 and 34. Um, and I think, you know, I, I think this team, I think a lot of people were like, we need to fill the roster with good players so that 32 and 34 were going to be a, a big piece of that. But this particular organization, this front Hey, we got Jamison Williams, who has been, um, you know, clocked at almost running 24 miles an hour uh, when healthy uh, and a guy that, you know, 20 yards per catch uh, they had last year. And probably if he's healthy in that championship game against uh, Georgia, Alabama wins that game. Right. I mean, that his injury was very much impactful. Uh, and, and by the way, if you haven't seen the YouTube video of Josh Pascal from Kentucky uh, for the uh, dental office, it, it is hilarious. The guy has nothing but personality from a football playing standpoint. People are a little surprised that they went with another front seven guy. Um, and um, uh, but I think a lot of people, I, I believe that Troy, uh, um, uh, uh, Brad and, and, and Dan view this guy as a potential Aaron Donald. Uh, based on his potential and, and whatnot. And 
look at Kirby Joseph, he was top safety in the country. Some people had him as number one, and you were able to get him in the third round. Um, you know, bottom line, it was a really good draft, but what you could translate into is sort of the line scope to be determined. Yeah, I think what I'll say is um, on the positive, I think this is probably the, one of the most impressive drafts that they have had in some time. Um, just from the quality of the talent they're getting. I will just say, though, that I just fundamentally disagree with what they did, just fundamentally. And just from a structuring standpoint, um, I don't believe that Jamison Williams was worth dealing those two middle picks. I think he was probably the best wide receiver in the draft. I just fundamentally don't agree with doing that. And so it's not, you know, I think they're, I think the Hutchinson pick was very good. I think Pascal pick was very good. Um, I think, I think that safety is not bad either. And I think from a, an impact standpoint, it's probably the best draft they've had in 10 years, uh, honestly, but I, I just don't agree. And you, I, you're just not going to change my mind unless you have two all, all pros uh, in Hutchinson and Williams. I'm just not going to agree. You That's- keep 30. 30- you keep 32 and 34. Sorry, sorry um, Justin. You keep 32 and 34. What were, what were you going to do at 32 and 34? And by the way, I'm not saying I disagree with you. Not that it's a big deal, but I'm not saying I yeah. disagree. But what would you I, have done? I think I, I would have I would have addressed. I, I think I would have kept one of the picks as a wide receiver, and I would have taken a safety much, much higher. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I think their defensive backfield is going to be pretty atrocious next year. Uh, and may, you know maybe they get enough pressure, you know, with because Hutchinson, I think Pascal is going to be a good player, and Hutchinson, I think, is be very reliable for them. Uh, and so I, I don't want this to be a negative. I, I'm really trying not to make this a negative take because they have impact players, but I just I don't know what's the difference between Jamison Williams at the pro level and Jahan Dotson at the pro level. I, I don't know, you know. And so just the idea, you know, some of the some of the speedsters some of those guys that can make big plays, you just don't need to pick them at 12. I mean, it's just all the way back. It's, it's just, this, it's the Hawkinson thing. Like why, why, you know, you just don't need to do that. So that that's generally my take um, as it pertains to football is if you're going to trade up in a draft, you're doing it for an impact player. Um, and rarely, rarely, rarely is a wide receiver going to be a big enough impact player as it pertains to being compared to other wide receivers. I mean, you got to go out and get a Larry Fitzgerald type, you know, somebody who's going to play for however long <laughs> he's been around forever, but you know, uh, Devonte Adams, a just, just somebody who's just going to absolutely dominate the game. And it's very hard to tell with wide receivers when they're going to do that. Not always true. There's always exceptions to that. Um, you can pick a lot of great, a lot of great receivers have been drafted a lot lower uh, in the draft. Um you 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 trade up to get one of those people who's going to absolutely dominate a game. Otherwise, thirty-two and thirty-four are used to fill out fill out a roster um, with really good football players. Um, I really like Hutchinson though, and th- this is and, and Brandon was saying it, and Adam you said it too. You know the impact player. Um, and I do think that was their strategy here in looking at it is going out and get just guys who make plays and that can be good enough for X number of wins in a season. I mean, I mean, you look at football, football is often made up of those couple of big plays, you know, sacking a quarterback and forcing a fumble. Um, 
that type of stuff, a big interception, um, or it could be on offense as well. I mean, to be fair, it could be breaking a tackle and breaking off an 80 yard touchdown, you know, uh, reception. So I'm going to actually just say something crazy. Like I almost would have preferred that they took Kyle Hamilton if they had traded up for that thing, which I wouldn't still would not have agreed with, but I almost would have preferred they had done that. You know, because he was a guy that was projected to go in the top 10. He slipped all the way to 14. And it's a desperate need that they have. And he is a guy that is a fundamental difference maker at his position because he's built differently than most safeties. So, you know, that it's just – and I think Jameson Williams is phenomenal. You could not watch college football last year and not just, like, jaw drop at this guy and how fast he was. But, you know – I don't know. I think they were scared. I think they were scared about the the run of the wide receivers, right? You had, um, what was it? Drake go to the Falcons. And then you had the, both the OSU guys go in short order, right? Right after. So maybe they got spooked and and they felt like they had to, you know, jump up and make a move, but God, I, I struggle with it. And I, I just don't understand. I mean, again, took a safety in third round, but, um, their defensive backfield has been so bad. And and does it not matter if, because they have a couple guys who can maybe get to the quarterback? Um, I mean, it, it certainly takes pressure off the DBs, but. They, they, they had a front seven coach uh, on, on some sort of podcast or whatever. And they did say that like last year, because of the players that they had, they were a lot more of a read and then react type of front seven. And this year they finally feel like based on the roster moves that they have, that they're going to be able to do a lot more of the rushing of the quarterback first. And then, you know, if, if they have to change, they change, you know, type of situation. I, I'm curious about what, how that impacts the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the pressure that they're going to be able to create, especially Pascal and Hutchinson and uh, hopefully Romeo Aquara coming back healthy, uh, um, you know, at that point. Uh, and of course, they have Charles Harris uh, and a few other players. And, and I mean, now, you know, trying to change that mindset of the read and react that was so prevalent in the um, Matt Patricia era, um, I'll, I'll be curious what, what exactly happens there. Um, and, and guys, honestly, I, I think this is, uh, you know, that trade is going to be a very defining moment in, in um, uh, Brad Holmes' career here uh, from, a, 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 you know, a roster makeup. Um, I think that uh, um, you're, you're right. You're, you're, um, you're absolutely right is that you, you did give up a, a fair amount saying that, you know, you did get, a, you know, the, the, with the uh, second round draft pick uh, back as part of that. And that get a trespass skill at that point. So um, uh, I, I, but it, it warrants a lot of discussion. It absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. And, and listen, I mean, they, they draft, this was a better draft than anything the preceding regime did by far, not even close. Yeah. Not even close. Aiden Hutchinson and Jamison Williams are going to have good NFL careers guaranteed. So, you know, uh, uh, injuries aside, right? I mean, those two guys are just going to have good NFL careers. So, you know, props to them for, uh, you know, two, two solid drafts in a row. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and, and quite honestly, I think their top four guys all are very likely to have good NFL careers. Um, so. <sighs> There's always next year with the Lions. 
or maybe this year. <laughs> so with that said, um, do we want to touch on the masters real quick? Um, and we can make Kentucky Derby predictions, but um, I, my Kentucky Derby prediction is that a horse will win. I, that would be the highlight. I have not, pretty good. I haven't even looked at it. But what about uh, just a quick masters recap? Adam. Well, and your, your microphone's cutting in now. Okay. Um, Scotty Scheffler pulled off the wind um, and uh, got the green jacket and it continued an unbelievable, um, uh, you know, stretch that he had where he, he just <laughs> winning, winning, winning. Like all he did. And, uh, um, you know, and, and, and really he took control of that, that, that Masters starting about Friday afternoon and uh, he, he didn't let go of the gas. And, um, uh, you know, and, you know, what was most interesting probably out of all that is despite what was really a very impressive one, he obviously had to, uh, share the, uh, uh, the, the spotlight with Tiger who, uh, um, you know, just the fact that he played, um, and actually the more amazing thing was not only did he finish, but he putted as terrible as he did. I, I don't think we've ever seen Tiger putt. It, it made him very human uh, watching him. But uh, And of course, the PJ will come up here in a couple of weeks. That'll be at Southern Hills. I don't know whether or not you know Tiger will play there. And now Scotty Scheffler has not played a whole lot uh, since then. And uh, it'll be interesting if he'll be able to pick up that momentum again and, and drive forward. So. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that impressed, I watched a lot of the Masters this year. I think the thing that impressed me most about Scheffler is he didn't get rattled on day three and day four, which we've seen happen a couple of times to folks in the last few years. And just how dominant he was, if, if not for two or three pretty spectacular performances on day four, he's even further, I mean, Rory McIlroy played out of his mind. Um, and so did Morikawa. I mean, they were playing out of their mind. Uh, those last couple of days. And that's only why it was as close as it was. He could have easily won this tournament by seven or eight strokes. I mean, that's how dominant he was. And just unflappable in those last couple of days. I mean, he wasn't, you know, shooting the lights out, but he just wasn't making mistakes either. You know, it wasn't, you know, plump, plumping one into the pond. Like, um, I, I'm um, totally blanking on the uh, uh, Italian guy that was competing with Woods the year that he won. You know, he didn't make those kind of mistakes uh, while the folks around him were, were yeah. Molinari. So, Molinari, right? Who, you know, who you know choked on that par three, you know, a couple of years back and really gave Woods and others an opening. So, you know, I, I mean, he was just solid. He's, he, and maybe he's the next hot hand, right? I mean, we've seen it going back 10 years now. McElroy, Spieth, Johnson, right? Maybe he's the next hot hand, you know? There's a lot of hot hands out there that could uh, potential hot hands. And uh, for Scotty to be able to come up the way he did and uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, six months ago, he was nearly an unknown name. I mean, I, and really, he wasn't really known until he got, uh, you know, he was one of the uh, uh, Steve Stricker's picks for the Ryder Cup. And I mean, you know, he had played pretty good golf, but he hadn't, didn't even have a PGA Tour win as part of that. And then all of a sudden, the sto- and then obviously, I think, you know, the big catalyst was the way he performed at the Ryder Cup. And he's, he's just pinned his ears back. He's very and good at the Ryder Cup. Very oh, yeah. Cup. Oh, yeah. So. He's just he's got the, that modern build, too, where it's, you know, not quite the, the you know, craziness of the the Kepkas and the, the DeChambeau's. But right. He's six, three, two, ten, like it's the ball away is, you know, solid fundamentals. Like, oh, yeah, he's going to have a good run here. Yep. Agreed. 
With that said, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Uh, next time we get together, obviously we'll be much further into the Tiger season and we'll kind of get a better idea of what on earth is going on and uh, perhaps a better idea of what's going to go on in uh, NBA, NHL, and NFL off seasons. Just see, see what's going on. Um, I don't know there'll be a ton of activity between now and then uh, since the playoff series are still going on, but we'll be a little closer to the other side. Anything else coming up in the next uh, few weeks, month or so that we're probably going to touch on? Well, I would think NBA, the NBA, the NBA, NBA playoffs. And draft, yeah. yeah. And draft, yeah. 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 So with that said, and with thanks to Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. Thanks, everyone. Take care.